right, Psalms 103 is where we'll be reading from. And we're going to read the entire psalm today just because it uh, is a powerful psalm and that it speaks to the depth of God's love for us. All right, so if you would, let's stand together as we honor the reading of the Word of the Lord. We'll begin in verse 1. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it will be there on the screen. Uh, But uh, we'd rather you be looking to God's Word. Here's what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Who forgiveth all the iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who uh, crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are uh, oppressed. He has made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquity. For as the, the heavens is high above the earth, and so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Like as our Father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as flowers of the field, so he flourisheth. And for the wind that passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon that that fear him, and the righteousness unto the children's children, to such as kept his covenant, to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, and excel in strength that do His commandments, hearkening unto the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of His, that do this pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Father, thank You for the word of the Lord that has been written and now read to us today. Lord, I pray that you would take the the written word, the spoken word, and now the preached word, and bless it according to thy word and according to thy will. Lord, speak unto our hearts, O Lord. I pray that you would just take the message that you gave me this week to give to your people, would be uh, resoundly heard and received, and then, Father, we would not be just hearers only, but that we would be doers of the word of the Lord. Lead God and direct us now as we take this time in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I read about a student in seminary class who stood up to his feet and announced to the professor, I don't believe in God. The professor unraveled uh, by the reply described, asked the, the student to describe this God in which you do not believe in. After the student had described an unloving and vengeful God, The professor confessed, I don't believe in that God either. My God is a God of love. There is no force more powerful than the love of our Heavenly Father that He has for you and for me, His children. His love can move mountains, 
stop the roaring seas, heal broken bones and wounded hearts, transform lives, and set free those who are held captive by sin and shame. So great is His love for us uh, that He sent His only begotten Son to die that he, we might live through Him. And John's Gospel in chapter 17, verses 25 and 26 Jesus makes an unfathomable statement about how great the depths of God's love is for us. When he said these words, O righteous Father, the world hateth not, uh, uh, has not known thee, but I have known thee, and these that have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, and that the love wherein you have loved me may be in them as I in them. Do you today know that God loves you the way that He loves Jesus? His heart is full of affection for you. Jesus always prays perfectly in line with the will of His Father because they are one, He said. The Father and I are one. Jesus always prays that way because of that connection. So when Jesus prays for God's love to be upon us and the same love that He was given from the Father to be given unto us, it is in perfect alignment with the heart of God. Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verses 37 through 39, which says, Nay, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did we know that through the death of Jesus Christ, the barriers between us and the relationship with our Heavenly Father has been torn in two? The wrath of God has been satisfied with Jesus' death on the cruel cross of Calvary? So that now you and I can experience the full depth of His love as He pours out His love upon us throughout the generations. Through Christ, we have been made new so that we can finally walk in the unhindered fellowship of the, and the oneness with a holy and perfect God. That sin which separated us from God has been taken care of on Calvary's cross, so that you and I can walk once again as it was in the beginning when God walked hand in hand with Adam and Eve. He wants to walk hand in hand with you and I. So let's look at this issue of the depth of God's love. The very first thing the psalmist teaches us is the descriptive power of God's love. He gives to us a descriptive power of the love of God in and through our life. But I wonder, how does one describe a rose to a blind person? How do you describe Handel's hallelujah chorus to a deaf person? How do you describe the thrill of downhill skiing to one who has never walked before? How do you describe the impeaceable, infinite love of God to an impure, finite mind? One of the most vivid characteristics of God is that God is a God of love. Now the King James in Psalms 103 uses the word mercy in place of the word love. 
But most of the other translations and, and, and the depth of that word talks about his depth of his love. And so for that, I wanted to focus on the love of God. But not just the love of God, but I want us to look at the depth of the love of God that he has bestowed upon humanity and that he has bestowed upon you and I individually. And so when we do that, we need to look at what the psalmist was trying to give as a description of this love. In recording the love nature of God, the psalmist stated that uh, he was full of faithful love in verse 8. And then in verse 11, he said, For the high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the faithful love towards him who fears the Lord. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion upon those who fear the Lord, verse 13 says. And then in verse 17, the psalmist trying to give that descriptive picture, it says this, but from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him. The psalmist reminds us that God's love, you, he loves you simply because he loves you. You don't have to work for his affections. You don't have to get your life straightened out for God to love you. For example, in the New Testament, Jesus gives us a, in the book of Luke a, pro, a proverb a, a, and, and about the prodigal son. But in that story of the prodigal son, we see the effects of a loving father. We see the fact that the loving father was standing on his porch day after day looking down the road in hopes that the, for the return of his wayward son. And when this so happens to come upon that day, the father does not wait for the son to come and say what he is there for, but he runs out and he greets the son and he loves the son and he accepts the son. Not even knowing if the son had come to forgive or to be forgiven or if the son had come to seek more favor. And that's the way our heavenly father is with us. As you and I, as wayward children, our Heavenly Father is constantly looking for us to love us. And He's not waiting for us to get it right. He comes to love us even in spite of ourselves. Paul reminds us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He longs to fill you with His love to overflowing. He longs for us to experience His love and oneness just as Jesus did when He Himself walked this earth. The descriptive love of God is something that He wants to express in and through our lives. Listen, I hope that you've experienced that hand of love of God upon your life in, in, in such a way that no matter what it is that's going on in your life, you know that God loves you. But listen, in a world that uses the word love so frequently today and so incorrectly, we must have a definition of love. What is the definition of God's love? Because when we look at the love of the world, we have a skewed view of what love looks like. But when we find it in, in the, the pages of Scripture, we see that there is a great definition as to what God's love really looks like. Look with me, if you would, to verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God tells us that He is love. This does not mean that love is God, but that God is love in His nature. 
God in His very definition and is the source of all love. To truly know love, we must first come to know God. And to know God is to know love. Love is simply a part of His eternal nature. It's a part of who God is. Love did not result or revolve or evolve out of, of something. It did not create itself on its own. Love did not come out of nowhere. Love comes from God because love is a part of who God is. Love is one of those attributes that God has. It's an attribute that is a characteristic of God's nature that has always been and always will be. Now let me give you a few of those characteristics of God that have always been and will always be. For example, God is holy, just, righteous, and pure. These are uh, what we might call God's moral attributes. God's always has been righteous and pure. He always will be. There will be, never be a day that God will wake up one morning and He isn't holy, He isn't righteous, He isn't just, or He isn't pure. God is always holy, He's always righteous, and He's always pure. He has been, will be, and forevermore will be. But not only is God holy, just, and righteous, and pure, another attribute is that God is eternal meaning that He is unchanging, He is self-sufficient. Children sometimes ask the question, and maybe you've gotten this question if you've ever taught a children's class. Who made God? Oh, that's always a fun question. And they, they honestly want to know. If I've been made by my parents and, and, and all of that, then who made God? Well... You know, how many of us as teachers have tried to figure out the best way to teach little children the answer to that? You, we need to remember the Bible says that no one made God. God has always been and God always will be for He is God. Now I know to a young inquisitive mind that goes right over their head or in one ear and out the other, and they're saying, well, then who made God? No one made God. God is because He has always been and forever will be. It is something that we need to understand. If we understand it, then guess what? The kids around us that are wondering it will see that God has always been, therefore He doesn't need to be made. He is, and He is the one who has made all things. God's nature reminds us that there is, is nothing like Him. But there's another of God's nature that is equally magnificent as to His unchanging, self-sufficient eternalness, and it is that God is merciful, He's kind, He's gracious, and He's loving. Love flows from God because God is love. God not only loves, God is love. And everything that God does flows out of His love. Now, and this seems cliche. It seems simple. It seems like this is just a pat answer for, for how we, we want to just make God into uh, this 
marshmallow of a person, but it's the reality as to who he is. And over the last several weeks on Wednesday nights, we have gone through a couple of series that have been powerful. One, we just finished up a series on the real God, and it looked at God and his attributes and, his, and, and all of the different things that we oftentimes get confused about God. And it took an in-depth look as to what God, who God is and, and why he has the right to be sovereign, why he has the right to be holy, why he is all-wise and why he's all-loving. And so when I tell you that God is love and love flows from God, I don't want you to look at it as a marshmallow story. I want you to understand that, that everything that God is flows out of His love. Everything that He does for us, everything that He does in us is because of His love. The point is simply not that God loves. It is but that He is love itself. Love is not merely one of the attributes of God but His very nature. It comes out of who He is. To say that God is love is not to imply that uh, uh, love is God. The difference that it makes is the difference in me saying that my dog is a girl and my girl is a dog. Now you think about that for a minute. Two different statements, but saying the same, similar things. The reality is we can't say God is love Love is God. There's a difference. It's different from the way we use the words. God reminds us that His love means that God wants the very best for you. He wants even the hardest things that go on in your life. He wants you to know that, that I allow them because I love you and I'm shaping you and forming you into the image of my Son. And therefore, as we walk through the struggles of life, we need to understand that when we are going through the darkest and, and, and most horrendous times of life, it isn't because God no longer loves us. It is because God is using those times out of His love to mold us and to shape us into His image. I want you to remember that God has your best interest in mind all the time. He wants to give you the good gifts and provide you with all of the benefits. That's what verse 2 says. All of His benefits, all of the glory of the Lord is given unto you because He loves you. And out of that, He wants to shape you and make you into Him. So when we think of the definition of God's love, it is by His nature that He is love. And that by His love, He wants to do the very best in our life. But what are the benefits of God's love? What are the benefits that we receive from, from experiencing this love that God bestows upon us? The psalmist uncovers uh, all the phases of life in which you and I go through that God's love has touched and turned them benefits into a blessing for the recipient. Now I want to go through this psalm very quickly and, and just point out several things that the psalmist reminds us of that God's love is interactive in. First of all, in verses 3 and 12, he talks about our spirituality. Spiritually, God loves and His love removes the barriers that separate us from Him, canceling out our debt of sin so that we can enjoy a loving relationship with Him. Listen, my friends, the Bible tells us that sin has separated us from God. 
We are, by our sinful nature, we are, are broken in our relationship with God. We are born into this world with a sinful nature that says we can't truly commune with God. And it isn't until we come to that place where we acknowledge that we are a sinner and there's nothing we can do about it, but Jesus Christ has already done everything because God loved us before we were, and He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross 2,000 plus years ago, long before any of us were ever thought of. And He loves us. And He said, listen, I know that you got a sin problem that's keeping you separated from my love and my fellowship and my relationship, so here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pay a price for you that you cannot pay for yourself. I'm going to uh, take care and cancel a debt that you have so that you can have the love of God, that you can have a relationship with Him. Spiritually, what He says is that I have made possible through my love for you to have a relationship with me. God love not only forgives our sins, but it removes our sins as if they were never existed. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God doesn't say, but I remember. No, I'm glad He says, what sin? For I remember it no more. But not only spiritually, but emotionally. If we look at verse 3 again, He reminds us that, Who forgiveth all thine iniquities? Who healeth all thy diseases? Much of the physical and emotional illnesses that we see in our world today are due to our moral or our sin failure. Listen, my friends, it was from the beginning that God created us perfect. That There was no defections in our genes. There was no illnesses. There was no sicknesses. There was no calamities. But it is because of our sin that out of that sinful nature from Adam and Eve, it has been passed on. And therefore, our sins have been uh, uh, corrupting our genome so that we have disease and, and failure and we have struggles. And removing our sin, the Lord not only gave us forgiveness, but He also reminds us that He's taken away the guilt of our sin. The guilt from our lives that God loves brings healing to our emotional life. Listen, my friends, you, you know, uh, if, you're not, if you don't know that you have been forgiven by God, you're carrying a load of guilt around with you every day. And, and that guilt will weigh you down. That guilt will, will cripple you. That guilt will destroy you emotionally. And God says, listen, I want you to know that not only have I forgiven your sins, but I've removed the, the guilt of your sin. No longer are you held under its bondage. I love what the Apostle Paul says, the chain of sin has been broken. All of what it does to us has been broken and therefore we have been set free. And therefore through the love of the Lord we have emotional help. But then in verse 4 he talks about our eternal help. Eternity. For those who redeemed thy life from destruction, who crowned thee with a loving kindness and tender mercies. He says the pit is the pit of death. God's love rescues us, fallen humanity, from our own bent of destruction and our, uh, that grants us eternal life. What the psalmist says, listen, what we were heading for, a pitless, a, a, a fall in a pit that is never ending. God reached down His hand of love and He grabbed us and He pulled us up out of that pit and He put us on solid ground. 
You see, the reality is he says that you are an eternal being and I don't want you separated from me for eternity, but I want you to live with me for all of eternity. And then physically, look at verse 5. In verse 5, he says, Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles? Like a father, he desires to give us the good gifts of strength and endurance. Jesus, the embodiment of God's love, came enjoying life. We see it throughout the gospel that Jesus didn't just come to survive life. He enjoyed life. He went to weddings. He went to festivals. He went to all kinds of things. He enjoyed his time here on earth. And we know that John's gospel in chapter 10 says it's the devil's job to destroy and to steal and to kill. But he says in the last part of that verse, it is God's job. It's God's desire to give every one of us a full life, full of His grace, full of His mercy, full of His love, full of joy. Isn't it great to know that God loves us enough that He says, listen, I want you to enjoy your time here on earth. I'm telling you, my friends, too many of us Christians are walking around with a, power, uh, 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 a pouting face instead of a smile saying, we, we, we should be, and we said this in Sunday school, we should be the happiest and, 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 and the most excited people in the world. But all too often we're not. And then in verse 6 he talks about it judicially. In verse 6, he reminds us the Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all who are oppressed. Here we find a major difference between divine love and that which so often passes for love in this world. You see, the world says, listen, if you love somebody, you're going to overlook their faults. You're never going to hold them accountable. You're just going to let them continue to do over and over and over again. But God said in His divine love, He says, listen, I love you and I cannot allow you to continue to do what you're doing without responding to you. You see, the reality is that God says, I love you so much that I can't leave you in your sin. Listen, here we find the fact that the world says, don't worry about it, but God says there needs to be righteousness and there needs to be judgment. Often love is expressed as the virtue that accepts everything. But God says true divine love always makes a judgment call. Divine love hates that what is wrong and loves that which is right. You see, the Bible tells us that God is always looking to correct us. He's looking to mold us. He's looking to shape us. He won't look the other way so that we can continue to do what we want to do. But He's going to come and interact in our life because His love is a divine love that says, I can't let you just go astray. Man, I hope that you get the idea that how much God loves you. And that why that while we were yet sinners, Christ sent his or God sent his son Christ into the world to pay a penalty for our sin. The redemption power of God is great. But he says, listen, my friends, right is right and wrong is wrong, and we need to make a change in our life. The last thing that the psalmist wants us to see is knowing the blessings of God's love. Once we know what are the blessings, we need to know these blessings. What would happen? What do you think would happen if we truly started to live our lives out of the blessings of knowing 
the depth of God's love for us. What would it look like in our homes if we were living our lives in the depth of God's love? What would it look like at our jobs? What would it look like in our church if we truly live out the depth of God's love? So what does it mean to know the blessings of God's love? First of all, God's love is all-consuming. God's love touches every part of our life. Nothing, no calling or circumstance, no adversity, no advancement, no pain or promotion, no status or station escapes the the brush strokes of God's love in your life. God's love bleeds into every fabric and every fiber of our lives. Consider the number of times the three-letter word all is found in this one psalm. To remind us that there is uh, nowhere, it's all-encompassing love. There's nowhere that God's love does not touch us. There is no escape from His love. His love touches every area of our life. There's no problem that you'll encounter that God has not already been there. And when the world falls apart around you, and we can say, God, I don't know why this is happening... I don't understand it, but I'm sure glad I know that you love me and that if you love me, you are there with me and I'm never alone and I won't have to go through this on my own. When you have someone who loves you and you know that it's holding your hand, holding you up, it doesn't matter anymore what everyone else does or what circumstance you find yourself in or what the future holds. When you are in the arms of a loving God, when you have been all consumed with His love, you share in His benefits. It's all right. Love allows us to say, no matter what I'm going through, no matter where I'm at, it's all okay. Why? Because my loving Father has me in His embrace. And I'm never alone. But listen, my friends, not only is God's love all-encompassing in every area of our life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the unknown, the unseen, and the yet to come, but I want you to understand that the Bible very clearly tells us that God's love is personal. The Bible cuts through all the philosophical uh, abstracts and declares that God is a person. And as a person, He has a personal being, God is capable of loving and being loved. And as a personal being, He loves each and every one of us intensely with a personal love. Now listen, we all know what John 3.16 says, so let's quote it together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's a great verse. And we can say, well, God so loved the world, and, and that's great. God, you love the world, but what about me? When we think about the personalness of God, when we think about John 3, 16, we look at it and we say, great, that God loves the world, but I need to know, does He love me? And what God says to us is, not only do I love the world, not only do I love it as a whole, but I love you as a person. I love you. 
God's love is not simply the kind, uh, or mankind mass. It is a sent, it's not just a sentimental, vague diffusing of feelings. You know, we oftentimes think of it as the, uh, the Charlie Brown attitude. When he says, I love mankind, it's just people I don't really like. The truth of the matter is that God loves mankind, but he takes it a step further and says, I love you. Notice again in Psalms 103, if you look at it, how how many times there are personal pronouns that remind us that God is not talking to the masses. He's talking to you. If you don't get it, I challenge you to go home today and read Psalms 103 a few times to yourself. And as you are, circle all of the personal pronouns that are made reference there and know that God is speaking to you. When Karl Bath, the famed German theologian, visited the United States several years ago at a a seminary, a student at the seminary supposedly asked him a profound question. And here was the question. Dr. Bath, what is the single most important truth that you have learned as a theologian? Barth uh, replied, the most important thing that I have ever learned is this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me is the central affirmation of the Christian faith. It's the cornerstone of the nature of God, that He loved us enough individually. Did you know that if you were the only one that would have responded to His love, God would have sent His Son 2,000 years ago to die just for you? That's how personal His love is for us. When God says, I love you, He's saying that uh, you matter to Him. You are a person of worth. You are valuable to Him. Regardless of what others think, in His eyes, you are wonderful. But there's a third attribute that we need to understand. is God's love is beyond human comprehension. The psalmist reminds us in verses 13 and 14, Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, meaning he knows how we were made, and he remembers that we are just men of dust. We're frail. We're a fault. We're oftentimes going to fail him. I don't know about you, but when you think of God's personal love for you, when I think about His personal love for me, it's amazing. Because God knows me and yet still loves me. God knows that I am a sinner and yet He chose to forgive me. I am diseased and yet He chooses to heal me. I am a pit and yet He pulls me out of that pit. I am ungrateful for the multitude of good gifts that the Lord has bestowed upon me, but yet He continues to give them to me anyways. I deserve judgment. I deserve hell, but yet He grants me mercy. Like a father's love for a wayward and rebellious son that waits anxiously for him to return home so that He can grant unto him a new start, God's love is that way for us. It is beyond comprehension. When you think of who you are, 
I wonder how many of us, like myself, say, God, I don't understand how you can love me because I know who I am. It is uncomprehensible. But his love for you is proven. Well, preacher, how do you know that you can prove God's love for me? Let me sum it up with a story. I'm going to tell you a story to hopefully kind of tie everything that I, that I said to sum up the depth of God's love. A Vietnam veteran shared this story. He was an Air Force colonel by the name of John Menser. He tells about an eight-year-old orphan girl who was wounded after a misdirected mortar attack. An American Navy doctor and nurse were called. They surmised that the little girl would die if, if she didn't have a blood transfusion. A quick test showed that neither the, of the Americans had the correct blood type to do it. But several of the uninjured orphans did. The doctor spoke some poor Vietnamese, and the nurse remembered a little from her high school French class. Using the combination together, they, they did with a much impromptu sign language, tried to explain to their young, scared friends that unless they could get some blood into this girl, she would die. Then they asked the question, is there anyone here that would be willing to give blood to help? Their request was met with wide-eyed silence. After several long moments, a small hand slowly and wavering went up and then dropped back quickly and then went up again. Oh, thank you, they said. What's your name? Hang, came the reply. Hang was quickly laid on the pallet and his arm swabbed with alcohol and a needle inserted into his veins. And through this ordeal, Hang lay stiff and silent. After a few moments, he let out a, a shuddering sob. Quickly covering his face with his free hand, his occasional sobs gave way to steady, silent crying. His eyes screwed tightly shut. His fist in his mouth stifled his sobs. The medical team knew with great concern that something was wrong, but had no way of communicating to this young boy what was wrong. Something was obviously very wrong. And at that very point, a Vietnamese nurse arrived to help. Seeing the little one's distress, she spoke to him in rapid Vietnamese, listening to his reply and answering him with a soothing voice. After a moment, the patient stopped crying, looked questionably up at the Vietnamese nurse, and then she nodded, and a look of great relief spread across his face. The American nurse and doctor quickly asked the Vietnamese nurse what was going on. And she said to them, he thought that he was dying. He misunderstood you. He thought that you had asked him to give all of his blood to this little girl to save her life. They asked, but why was he willing to do that? 
The Vietnamese nurse repeated the question to the little boy who answered simply, because she's my friend. That story is, to me anyways, a glimpse into the incredible, incompassionate, or incomprehensible love that God has for you and I. John 15, 13 says, No greater love than this, than a man lay down his life for a friend. If you want to know the depths of God's love, look to what God did for us in Christ. Romans 5, 8 says, But God proves His love for us that while we were yet sinners, He died for us. My friends, if you really want to know the depth of God's love, understand His love, don't listen to the love songs of this world or the people who throw them terms around so loosely and lightly. If you want to know and get to know the depths of God's love, there is but one way to do that. To simply take a journey back, to look back to the cross. Because there God's love came to mankind, but it also came to you personally. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever... There's the personal. You see, God gave His Son for the mankind, but it's the individual that has to be saved. His death on the cross did not save all of mankind. His death on the cross was for all mankind, but every individual in this room and those that are hearing my voice has to receive that personally. If you've never done that, you have yet to experience the depth of God's love. The cross is the ultimate expression of God's incomparable love. Not only to mankind, but to you as well. If you ever wonder if God loves you, look at the cross. The cross is God's way of saying, this is how much I loved you when he stretched out his arms and was willing to be nailed to a tree. God's final words to you and I are etched in a Roman cross. They are written in red. And what they say is that I love you. I love you. I love you. Today, as we think about the fact that God loves us, we need to understand how much He loves us. He loved us enough to die on the cross. So Ron, if you would come and prepare, I asked Ron to sing, for us to sing a song that we're well familiar with. But before they sing that song with us, I need to ask each and every one of you that are here, whether you're a young adult, a teenager, a senior adult, whoever you are, if you've never experienced the love of Jesus in such that you've received His gift of salvation, because of what Christ did for you on Calvary's cross, today is the day for you to experience afresh and anew the depth of His love and to be made into a child of God. So as we sing this song, Jesus Loves Me, I want you to know that God is saying to you, I love you. I'm calling you out of your sin. I've made a way for you, not just the world, but you to come to know me. But you must come to know me. 
You must receive the, the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. You must accept that free gift. So I ask you this morning as we close our time together, this will be our invitation, Him. It will be an opportunity for you to come and to say, I need the love of Jesus for me. Not for the world, but for me. I want you to know that we're about to celebrate next month the celebration of the birth of Christ, and it's all about the fact that God loved us enough that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him, whosoever. Are you one of those whosoevers? If you are today, sing that song, Jesus Loves Me, from the depth of your heart and praise for His love. If you're not yet, please come today. Do not leave this place today without experiencing the true depth of His love for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to be able to proclaim the love of Christ that saved me from my sins, that set me free so that I could be who you wanted me to be. And Lord, today, if there is one that is here that does not know you, whether a child or a teenager or a young adult or an adult, Lord, I pray that, Father, that they would come to know that you died for them because you love them and draw them out of their sin to receive your forgiveness. And Lord, I would love to show them what the Bible says, how they can know that they know that Jesus loves them. Oh, Father, would you stir our hearts as we sing today.